0: Welcome back to the Comfy with Carly podcast. I am so excited to share today's episode with all of you. We have our very first guest on to help us all get comfy together. Megan Edinger is joining from Delaware to share her story of being a mother of three, a wife, and her experience with anxiety, depression, sharing her journey of diagnoses, medication, and seeking therapy. Megan is a 35-year-old mom of three who married her high school sweetheart, and she became a mom just two weeks after her 18th birthday. Megan shares her journey into self-discovery and figuring out who she was and what she needed to stay herself and not let the title of motherhood become all-consuming for her. Megan shares the ups and downs of her journey and is really transparent while she shares her story with all of us. Her ultimate goal is to normalize all parts of motherhood that no one tells you about so that other moms don't feel so alone in their journeys. And in today's episode, she really dives into her mental health journey and the support that she needed and how she's able to verbalize that support. She also talks about how she is able to utilize what she's learned in therapy with her own children as far as expressing emotions and feelings. Megan also shares with us what she is drawn to when she needs to feel a little extra comfy. I don't want to give too much away. I had a great time chatting with Megan. I hope you all enjoy the episode. Thank you, Megan, for joining us on the Comfy with Carly podcast. I'm so happy to have you today.
1: Thank you, Carly. I'm thrilled to be here. For
0: all of you who are listening, Megan is helping moms discover who they are outside of motherhood. So I'm going to let Megan take over and share her story with all of you Through motherhood and being
1: transparent about what that looks like and the help that she needs. Mom, just after I turned 18, just a couple months after I graduated from high school. So I went from, um, you know, my schedule being dictated by school and sports and my parents and my family to um, not having school, not having sports, um, not having a job. um, And really just my sole purpose was to take care of this baby, which. I loved and I was really grateful for. But um, at the same time, I was obviously not sleeping well. I was, you know, it was before Facebook and Instagram and all of that social media and smartphones even. Um, So when my friends left for college, I was left behind kind of. Um, I wasn't able to easily keep in touch with anybody. Um, And, you know, shortly after that, I did find full-time employment. My boyfriend at the time and I were going to school full-time working full-time saving to buy a house planning to get married like all we were just in very much hustle mood everything was go 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 all the time Um, and we didn't really slow down until our late 20s Um, so we we did buy a house we did get married we had two more kids and um, same thing this whole time we were both working full-time sometimes we had additional part-time jobs going to school, like we were just never, um, we didn't sit still for very long. Um, And so I hit a point where I was like, holy shit. Like whenever somebody asks me like who I am, I always say, oh, I'm a mom or this is what I do for work. Like there's gotta be more to life than that. Um, And so I started small. I started Running, Um, and that I hated running. First of all, let me start there. (laughs) 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 Growing up, I was an athlete, and running was always like the punishment. That you know, if you were late to practice, you had to run. If you weren't listening at practice, you had to run. All of that. Um, But I always, I always had some sort of sport to keep my body moving. I was always a very physical kid growing up, so I was like, I need to bring that back. Um, Gym memberships are expensive. Um, and I don't have childcare, so I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to learn how to run and like it. Um, so I did, and I did fall in love with it. And I just started to build on top of that, um, because, you know, I needed that time outside of my house. It got to the point that, you know, if it had been too many days between runs, my husband could tell, and you'd be like, Hey, why don't I take the kids so you can go for a run? <laughs> Um, and so I started to learn that you know, not just me, but all moms need that time outside of the house and away from the kids and away from their spouse and outside of work. Um, and fast forward again to my mid thirties, I was like, you know, I that experience was not unique to me. Yes, I was a young mom. Yes, we had a little bit of a chaotic start to life. But those feelings of isolation, those feelings of who the hell am I, what do I want? Like, those are not unique to me. I think all moms experience that to some level at some stage. um, And it needs to be talked about more because I think that, you know, when we experience those things, we feel ashamed, we feel embarrassed, we feel like bad mothers. Um, And so it's my mission now, especially I didn't even get to this, my experience with anxiety and depression, to make sure that no other mom ever feels like she's alone in whatever she's dealing with. Um, And more importantly, she feels encouraged to go and seek the support that she needs and that she deserves.
0: What would you say was the moment if you could pinpoint where you were like, Hey, I need some added support. You know, I am so much more than a mom which is a very important role and we know as you're telling us can be all consuming because now you're in charge of this other life it's it's something that goes so far beyond just a job title right Mm -hmm. so what was that moment for you that you realized you know
1: hey I need some added support Yeah, that's a great question. So through my mid 20s to early 30s, I got really good at finding hobbies. Um, So like I I mentioned, I'm a runner, I ran long distance races, I made friends doing that I would schedule girls nights, either with my sister or other girlfriends. Um, And so I created a life for myself outside of my, you know, my little bubble in my house. Um, And that was all well and good. But my anxiety started to get the best of me and anxiety is something that I know that I have, it's been a part of me ever since I was a little girl. Um, I didn't have the language or the vocabulary to explain it back then. It was just kind of um, known that in our family, we were tightly wound people like that was kind of the language that we use. Um, and so I just accepted that as part of who I was, but yeah, um, in my early 30s, I started to have very regular panic attacks um, at work, at home, in public. um, And that was the point that I was like, I, I need help. Um, And so I went to my family doctor, and she prescribed me a medicine. And um, it was at that point that I was diagnosed with both general anxiety disorder and clinical depression. And so that really is when I was like, okay, this goes deeper than like hobbies <laughs> and friendships. This, I really need to like learn about what depression and anxiety really is. And then I need to learn about myself. Um, and so over the last five or six years, that's what I've done. I've learned, I've read a lot of books. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've experimented a lot with different um you know, rituals at home, what works, what doesn't, what am I going to be consistent with, what am I not, what do I need more regularly, what can I have like every once in a while type of thing. Um, And those I put all in the bucket of self-care. And when I say self-care, I don't mean like, you know, bubble baths and spa days and things like that which those things are great. And if you can treat yourself to them, please do. Um, But what I'm talking about are little things like um, lighting my essential oils before I sit down to work for the day or um, making sure that I get outside and go for a walk a couple of times a week. Um, Walking my dog, like these are all things that um, are easy to do, but are also really easy not to do. And so I've started to keep track of them like, okay, these are the things that I know that that I like to have within my day or within my week. Um, And then every night before I go to bed, I sit down and I go through the list. Did I do this? Yes or no. Um, And it's not to make myself feel bad or to beat myself up about it. It's just to give myself a visual to say, hey, it's been a few days since you've been outside. I know the weather has been crappy, but tomorrow you're going to put on a rain jacket and you're going to get outside. Um, Just because I know that it's good for me, um, but if I didn't have this habit of tracking, um, you know, because I work from home, <laughs> and because I can get my groceries delivered, and my kids have a bus that takes them to school, like, I could go weeks without leaving the house, really, um, and that's not, that's not good for me, so I keep track of it, and, and I, I kind of have to, like, parent myself and be disciplined to do the things that I don't necessarily want to do, but I know that my future self will thank me for
0: Thank you for sharing all of that. You know, we talk a lot about yesterday, I released my first episode and we talked about trying on therapists and how you have to try on different things to figure it out. And that is the same with self-care and coping mechanisms as well. Figuring out what works for you and not giving up if you've tried five things and all of those, you know, don't pan out to how you expected them to be how did you figure out what worked best for you, especially with having children around and like you said, being stuck in the house?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, first of all, I have a great support system. Um, so I would definitely, if you're, even if you're a single mom, find some support somewhere, um, whether that's, you know, someone coming over and watching the kids for, you know, even just 30 minutes or if you can drop them off, that's even better. But um it took a lot of experimenting. And you know, just real quick, in 2020, I fell kind of deep into a depression. And I I didn't want to acknowledge it um because I didn't want to go back on medicine because the first medicine that I took didn't really work for me. Um, and so I listened to podcasts and I would hear things like, oh, you know <laughs> this is probably true, but like your mental health is in your gut. Like it's all connected. Mm -hmm. If you are feeling depressed and anxious and whatever, you probably have, um, something going wrong with your gut. You need to clean up your diet. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'll just clean up my diet. Or, um, yes, I need a gratitude practice. Like these little things, they sound so simple and easy. Um, and they are, but for someone who was struggling to get out of bed and take a shower in the morning, I for damn sure was not going to put myself on a special diet to clean up my gut. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I needed to acknowledge that I needed help beyond like the tools that I had available to me. And I had to go to therapy. I had to eventually go and ask again for, to be put on a different medicine. Um, and I did those things and I was in therapy for, I was in therapy every single week for probably about eight months. um, And then we weaned down and now I'm just in therapy kind of as needed. Um, So like once a quarter, I'll call her up and say, hey, can we sit down and chat? Um, And what I'd love to say about therapy too, I'm sure you've talked about this, is don't wait like I did until you're in some sort of crisis situation to reach out to a therapist. Therapists are great to just even help you work through like dumb stuff that happens throughout your week, that you're not sure how to handle, that's taking up space in your brain, they can they can like help you sort all of that out so that you don't get to a point that you're like chronically sick. Um, so please reach out sooner than later. Um, but once I got myself to a point that I was, you know, at what what we what my therapist and I define as like a baseline. Um, Then once I was performing at baseline pretty consistently, I wasn't experiencing so many lows so frequently. um, Then I was able to say, okay, now what, what habit can I add to this? And I started with walking outside. And then I started with um, making sure I was getting out to see people again. And then I started with um, making sure I was drinking enough water every day. And it just As these things became more of like my daily routine, I didn't even have to think about them anymore. Then I would add something else in Um, because I think a lot of times what people try and do is turn their whole world upside down at one time. Um, They're going to, they're going to change their life tomorrow. And that's great. If you're the type of person that can do that, that's amazing. I don't think that's the majority of people. Um, It's definitely not me. What happens with me when I do something like that is I'll do really good for like the first day maybe the first three days. And then the fourth day, I don't do anything. And then I feel like garbage. And I feel like, well, that was stupid. That was a waste of time. Why do I suck at being a human? And it's just this like downward spiral, right? So for me, it's much better to um, find something, integrate it with my life, get it to a point where it's a habit, and then build on top.
0: Yeah, what you're describing is that common, like all or nothing mentality, right? I, didn't complete anything on my to-do list or any of my self-care activities and therefore I'm not going to do it anymore. So I love that you described the slow build of figuring out what worked for you and acknowledging that throwing it all in at once or tackling something so big like changing your entire diet, which is really hard to do and takes a lot of effort, was not going to serve you and be in your best interest at the time. It was just kind of going to result in what you described as like that spiraling, well, I'm not doing it. And now I feel shame that I'm not doing what Mm -hmm. I set out to do to make myself feel better. Exactly what do you think it was like to have to discover, actually, how do you think it was to discover all of this and balance motherhood? You know, you talked about having a great support system, but that, you know, only goes so much,
1: especially when the kids need mom. Yeah. Um, So I will say my kids are a little bit older. I have a 17-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 11-year-old. So they're not as much in that, like, clingy needy like I have to touch you all the time toddler stage Um, but they do still need me um, daily (laughs) and I wasn't able to be there for them for for a while and that brought on a lot of guilt and a lot of shame Um, and so I I apologized to them and I explained you know what was going on and for a long time I kind of felt again shamed and embarrassed and like I felt bad for them like why do they have the mom that can't take care of herself who can't take care of them um and and I'm getting emotional now even talking about it but over the course of time and through therapy and through all of this work that I've done I've realized that this isn't a bad thing because what this has done for me and for them it's It has shown them that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to take medicine if you need it. It's okay to go to a therapist. Um, And I'm able to provide them with tools now so that when they're 30, they're not having to figure all of this out when they're 30, they can start doing this now. And that's a beautiful gift, I think. So I really had to reframe the way that I think about this experience.
0: And I'm sure that was not
1: easy for you. Yeah, it's still not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And, you know, what resonated with me is you were talking about having anxiety as a kid, but not really understanding what it was, and Mm -hmm. having, you know, everyone in the family just said everyone was tightly wound. And um, now, even in society, we're talking about mental health more, and it's becoming more normalized to discuss anxiety and depression so being able to be that advocate in your own house to describe and explain you know what's going on you're feeling that like dread pit in your stomach okay that doesn't necessarily mean you're tightly wound you probably have some anxiety and let's talk through what that can mean So now you get to be that person for your kids that when growing up just it wasn't talked about it wasn't explained yeah what has that conversation been like with your kids?
1: Um, it's different with each kid. We have had one of our kiddos go to therapy um, for an anxiety concern, and it wasn't a long term thing. It was a few sessions. We went, I didn't go, they went. Um, they, for the first time, it was kind of like, you know, get to know you type of deal. Mm-hmm. The second time they were really able to discover the root of where the anxiety was coming from. And spoiler alert, it was video games. Too much time on violent video games, too close to bedtime. And um, obviously we didn't love that answer because that meant that we had to spend less time doing the thing that we thought was fun. Um, But it was a good lesson because you know, here we are. I didn't love the video game in the first place but I lost that battle. I picked picked my battles around here. Um, And, you know, to have someone else say like, look, listen, you are up in bed at night worried about, you know, your parents dying and your house catching on fire and you're having all of these intrusive thoughts. Guess what's not helping? That video game that you're playing before bedtime where you're shooting people, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. certainly doesn't help. And so we had to do an experiment where we spent less time per day on the video game. Um, And we had to make sure that there was more time between when we were on the game and when we went to bed. Um, And so we had to put those boundaries in place. And again, we didn't love it. That was not a fun week in my house. Um, But when we saw the difference Um, it was easier to accept that boundary. And so it wasn't so much of a fight between, you know, the child and the parents anymore. Um, But also it was a really good lesson to the child that, you know, sometimes too much is not good for us, whether it's, you know, a video game or like I have another kid that really loves to like Netflix and chill and lounge around the house all day long. And I love that too. And everybody needs a day like that, especially we have very busy schedules. We were in Travel leagues and all of this stuff are always on the go. Um, so we we all need a day like that, but two days like that is usually too much. Um, so we're learning, you know, about each other and about like where's the line between like self care and self sabotage? It's different for all of us, um, and you know those conversations again because my kids are a little bit older. I, they can be very candid and very real. Um, and we can talk about, you know, these feelings that they have that they don't even know that they have. Um, so they don't always they don't always want to talk about it. I don't want to seem like they're they're always like happy to have this conversation. They're not. Um, sometimes I do the talking and they just listen. And then like maybe they'll come back later when they're ready. Um, but they, they know that they can always come to either myself or my husband with anything along those lines.
0: You created that open door, uh, I, you know, people call it the open door policy, but you created kind of an open door environment where it's always welcoming to talk. And I love, and I want to acknowledge too, and say good for you for creating an household where it's okay to talk about emotions and feelings mm-hmm. and to acknowledge what is going on and that there's no shame behind it, right? Yeah. It's really easy for us to not acknowledge our emotions or feelings. It's not something we were taught to do. It's something you need to learn and that's something you're really teaching your kids because you thought or you saw the benefit to you being able to do it as well. And probably what it could have done had you started, right? As a kid, being able to acknowledge what feelings and sensations you were having.
1: Yeah. Like I love now, especially because women are waiting later to have children. They Mm -hmm. know all of these things about themselves. They have their morning routines. They have their nighttime routines. um, And like they have their anchors in their day and they know what they need. um, And they're not afraid to ask for it. And they're not afraid to wait until they have a partner that is like, on board and willing to support them. And I love to see that. I just love it.
0: Yeah. It's very opposite of your story. Mm -hmm. And I would love to go back to when you were saying, you know, I didn't even know who I was at the time. Like I got pregnant. I was young. I had a family very early. I believe you were 23, right? When you we're, we're done my last,, yeah. yeah. and for like you're saying, most people now twenty three kids aren't even a thought yet. yeah, so what was that like for you to be a mom so young and not have kind of figured out who you were?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was something that I didn't even have time to consider or think about. Um, we had like my oldest was already like in sports and going to school and, and those types of things. Um, and I, everyone always thought that I was like his big sister. They didn't know who these other kids were, um, which, you know, when they came around asking for money for fundraisers, no one ever came to me. That was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when it came to like, you know, the other kids on the team, all of their parents were like very friendly. They would go places on the weekends and things. And um my kids were never really included in that. And even if they had been, we would have never been able to afford to to do it. Um, And so it was just a very, very different um, experience for not only for me, but also for my children at the time. Um, And I think about that, I think about that a lot. And sometimes I especially think about that, you know, 24, 25 year old mom who like was, in there parenting with all of the other, you know, w- women who were, you know, 10, 15 years older than she is. Um, and, you know, it was intimidating, especially in a group setting a lot, because there's always someone who's ready to, you know, tell you what you're not doing correctly, according to them. Um, but I, I did it, I showed up every single time. And I think that's just what we do as moms. We just, we ha- we have to, we show up for our kids when they need us, no questions asked. And um, yeah, I would just, I'd love to go back and give that, give that young mom a, a big hug.
0: <laughs> yeah, you took, my next question was gonna be if you could go back <laughs> and tell yourself, you know where you are now versus then or any time, right? What would be the advice that you would give Um, aside from that big hug
1: yeah I would definitely let her know that you know those feelings that she's having um are not normal even though they're normalized um as like just this like rite of passage with motherhood right um it doesn't have to be this way and there are resources available and the longer you wait the harder this is going to be
0: I think that's excellent advice. And uh, you know, you mentioned a few times and it really stuck out to me too, not waiting till something is wrong to go seek therapy. And that is so often the case. You wait until you know there's a blow up in your relationship and it was a really bad fight. You wait till you really cannot get out of bed. So how to recognize, you know, I might need some added support because I potentially might be going downhill. Or, how do we just like stay up on this hill and create all of the techniques
1: and the skills to never let myself fall down the hill? Yeah. And I think as a society, we're much more um, willing to go to our doctor and ask for a medicine than we are to go to a therapist and really talk about and get to the root of what's happening. And I just want to remind everybody here if that's kind of a decision that you're making or something that you're going through. Um, medicine is great. I still take medicine every single day, Um, but it's not magic. I still needed therapy. I still needed to learn about my triggers. I still needed to learn how to communicate with my family. Like I still had a lot to learn and I still have to actively and proactively take care of myself and my mental health, even though I take a medicine. So medicine is great. It definitely has its purpose, but it's not it's not a, like a magic solution. It's not going to clear up everything. You're not going to, I don't know. I just, I, I very much believe in treating the whole entire person. Um, I think that's really important.
0: Yes. I feel very similarly as a therapist myself. And I think, you know, one of the things that comes with medication, right, is taking away that physical symptom of what you are feeling. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about anxiety, we know there's that pit feeling, the racing heart, the sweaty, there's a lot of different symptoms that can come with having a panic attack or feeling anxious. And medication can sometimes, depending on who you are, take that away. But like you're describing, it doesn't, get to the skills or the root or teaching you communication styles, conflict resolution, whatever it may be. I like to say that therapy is the ultimate form of self-care because it's when do you have an hour of your time to sit down and really only talk about yourself? Yeah. Even when you're talking to your husband, your kids, your friends, family, whoever it may be, it's always reciprocal, right? Mm -hmm. It's a conversation you might be able to vent about yourself, but it eventually ends up going back about the other person or something like that. So this is the only time where you have an hour or whatever, however long you have with your therapist to sit down and solely focus on yourself and your life with someone who is part of your support system
1: to help you focus on your life. Yeah, and you know, I love therapy for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's the accountability piece. Like if your therapist gives you homework, you're going to have to do it because they're going to ask you about it. It's not like you're in like a classroom where you can like pretend that you did your homework. Like you need to do it. Um, It's hard. It is hard work, but it's so worth it. Um, And for me, like when, when people think of therapy, I think sometimes I think that like, it's like the stuffy doctor's office and you have to sit on like this couch or um, whatever. But now with telehealth, with COVID, it's made it so much more accessible through zoom. You can do it in your own house. Um, but for me, I found a therapist who had she not be my therapist, she would definitely be one of my best friends. Um, you know, we can't have that kind of relationship because she is my therapist, which sucks. But when I go to therapy, it's like, I'm chatting with a girlfriend. It's very cat. The tone of the conversation is very much like the tone that we have here now. Um, it's not so super formal. Um, we joke, she laughs with me, um, you know, it doesn't have to be this like, like weird formal thing.
0: What was it like for you to find a therapist?
1: Yeah. Um, so finding my individual therapist, I got very lucky. I found her on the first try. I did. Um, I think the website is psychology today, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, so you can go on there and you can read all of the different profiles because as you know, um, every therapist has like their own specialty, their own area of expertise. Um, and so you want to make sure that the therapist that you are looking at specializes in whatever it is that you want to talk about. Um, and I had a couple of different issues that I was working It was definitely my depression and anxiety, but also there were some things going on in my marriage. Like there was, there were things that I needed to get into. Um, and I emailed a couple of them, I emailed a bunch of them actually, and only a few even got back to me in the first place. Um, and only this one had room in her schedule for a new patient at the time. Um, so it just worked out and because it was COVID, um, she's probably about an hour and a half away from me. So um, with telehealth, it's made it so much more accessible because like I said, there's probably no one in my area that would have ha- that would have been able to get me in right away. Um, so that was really great. I will also say that um, my husband and I have done couples counseling a couple of times. Um, the first counselor, again, was amazing. We loved her. The second one that we saw was, I'm sure, very good at his job. Um, I don't want to take anything away from him, but he was like definitely close to retirement age. I don't know if he's ever had children um, he definitely has not had children that had the schedules that our children have. Like he just, he could not relate to us. And it was a very, very clear. Um, and so we, you know, we stopped with him and we moved on to the next person and you do, you just have to find someone that you're comfortable with. And, you know, you don't have to go into your first session and be like, spill all the beans, you know, um, because that can be an exhausting process if you're going to go through this a couple of times. Um, So it's just like, it's like dating, like you go, you kind of feel each other out. Um, Maybe it takes more than one session to do that. But um, I think that again, even though it's kind of a slow process, it can be kind of a painful process. um, It's always been worth it every time. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I love that you said, you know, in your first session, you don't need to sit down and spill the beans because I think that's also a barrier and a reason that people might not seek out therapy is if I have to constantly, you know, talk about my story and my trauma, like why do I want to keep trying on, I like to call this like different therapists trying on different hats, why do I have to keep doing that? it's exhausting. And it would be to have to rehash or tell your story over and over again to someone can be exhausting. So knowing that in your first session, it can be very, let's get to know you. Okay. Why are you seeking counseling? But we don't need to dive into that right now. It's a slow process. And recognizing that is really important because you might not feel the person, right? You're talking about treating this kind of like dating you might sit down on a first date and know within the first 10 minutes, this person's not right for you, or you might need three dates, right. To determine this person is my person or isn't my person.
1: Yeah. And, um, other, oh, I was just going to also say that, you know, I'm a person that I can't come up with things on the spot. Um, just like that in general, I need to be prepped ahead of time. So if my therapist wasn't, um, she didn't have like a plan for me. Like we didn't have like an outline of what we were going through each and every week. So sometimes I'd show up to session with like nothing to talk about. And then I'd be like, well, this was a waste of time and not helpful. And I'd get so frustrated. And so what I would do is throughout the week, I would literally journal and I would have a list for Sasha. And then when I sat down with Sasha, I said, okay, we have, we've 10 things on my list. We're probably not going to get to them all. And so then I would have to prioritize, you know, what, what really, um, what i really wanted to get into but um i think that that's also another good piece of advice for people like me who kind of you get there and you're like oh um Hmm. i don't i don't really remember i don't really know um make a list bring it with you yeah especially if you're not going weekly right mm-hmm.
0: Had i i personally can barely remember what i did the day before let alone what i've done if you go like you said, quarterly for check ins, what has happened the last few weeks? Yeah. So, being able to keep a tab, whether that be a journal list, something on your phone, so it's even more accessible, unless you're a paper and pen person like I am. Um, keeping that list, having that for your therapist, and also knowing too, if for whatever reason you can't keep that list or you forgot it, your therapist has a plan, right? And it's good yeah. to also have filler sessions. It's okay to talk to your therapist about TV shows, movies, music, things that you're going to be doing and have a session that is not an intense session where you are digging into why you reacted a certain way or Mm -hmm. how a coping skill is or isn't serving you. So knowing it's okay to have, I like to call them the filler sessions, but they work, they help they, it's about building rapport and building relationship with your therapist. And that's what some of those sessions are there for too. Yeah, exactly. So I do want to ask you a question that I will be asking all of my guests. So Megan, what is your comfort item? What are you drawn to when you're looking for comfy?
1: Yeah. Um it's so funny because you prepped me for this question and I still am like, oh, I don't know. Um, I don't really have an item, but I will say that I cling to my bedtime routine. Um and when so I have like this little 20-minute ritual that I've created for myself. Again, it started with just just a bedtime and then it was a bedtime and a cup of tea. Um, and it it built to this like 20 minute thing. Um, But on those really hard days, um, I include a journal entry in there as well, just a free write. um, I call them brain dumps. It's literally just get all of these thoughts out of my head and onto paper. Um, And sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes it helps me see that like these things that are consuming all of my thoughts and energy and time aren't actually that big of a deal. Um, And so it's not something I don't do that type of journaling every single day, but if I am having a particularly hard time or dealing with something a little bit more tough, then I will make sure that I add that into my nighttime routine.
0: I love that you are able to remain flexible and what brings you comfort as well. So your nighttime routine, when you're having a bad day is what brings you back down. It makes you more mm-hmm. comfortable and acknowledging because we talked about that all or nothing mentality that if you add or take away something from your routine it is still there it's still bringing you comfort even if you are unable to for example brain dump that night Mm -hmm. is there anything else that you would like the listeners to know either about you or your story or just about making the uncomfortable more comfortable
1: Yeah. Um, I know that we've said it here a couple of times today, but I really just want to kind of highlight, um, do not wait. If you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely thinking about maybe going to therapy. Um, so just do it, just go on a website, make a phone call. Um, you know, you might have a friend that has a great therapist, like my sister and I, we see the same therapist. Um, so just ask around and, and start making strides to do that because, The longer you wait, the harder it's going to be.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your story and making everyone more comfy, comfier, I guess would be the word, comfier uh, with becoming a mom at an earlier age and recognizing that you needed help and your identity was so much more than just mom and figuring out what worked for you. Your story is really inspiring. It's really easy to become all consumed by one identity or one label, especially when it involves having three children to rely on you. So it's incredible that you were able to recognize you needed added support. You had that support. And I love also that you talked about small things, adding small things into your routine, Mm -hmm. because I think that's something that myself and the listeners could easily start doing while they are also seeking out a therapist, right? Adding small things to a routine or their daily activities to start figuring out what works for them. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you again, Megan, for sharing your story. I truly appreciate it. And why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you?
1: Of course. Thank you. Um, So you can find me on my podcast. It's called the No BS Mama. You can listen wherever you listen to this podcast. I'd love to see you over there. Um, And I'm most active on Instagram. Um, It's at Megan.Eddinger. And if you're up for it, I also have a free Facebook group um, for moms, specifically listeners of the podcast. And we would love to have you over there as well. Great. Well, thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you again. I truly appreciate it. Um, And listeners, stay tuned for a quick announcement. Relationships are hard. It's difficult enough to figure out the best way to resolve conflict within ourselves, let alone involving another person. This is why Rachel Goodman, a relationship coach, and I came together to create the Couples in Conflict Workshop. Join us virtually on Sunday, May 1st from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll tackle common myths in relationships, learn the importance of compromise, and leave you and your partner with a better understanding of what healthy conflict looks like in a relationship. To learn more and sign up for this amazing opportunity, check out the description details of this podcast episode or click on the link in my bio on Instagram. We hope to see you all there. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Tune in every Thursday to the Comfy with Carly podcast Grab your blanket, settle in, and let's get comfy together.